The reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and can be found on page 1148 on the Bibles in front of you. And we're reading from verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the results of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? 
run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Good morning, everyone. We on there? Hello? There we go. Well, let me pray. Father, we do thank you we can be here this morning and I pray that your word would speak into our hearts and our minds. And Father, give us generosity in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to speak to you this morning on the free gospel and in particular, churches and finances. And no doubt it's a sensitive topic to talk on. Uh, it's worth saying, uh, I've often said I try and preach on money once a year uh, at November. Well, you've hit the jackpot, you get to come in June and hear it again. Now, the reason I'm doing that is not because I thought I needed to speak on money, it's because it's come up in the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that we're looking at. And it is a fascinating chapter that we're going to look through. But it's worth saying, you don't have to be in churches long to know that there's a, if I can say, an unholy marriage at times... Uh, on the topic of finances and churches. Just in my 30 years as a Christian, I've seen some of the following things. I remember when I was a student minister uh, back in the early 1990s, uh, I turned up at the church, I'd just begun uh, ministry there on Sundays, and I think it was our fifth Sunday when it was announced from the front, during the announcements, that the warden and treasurer, same person, had been arrested for the embezzlement of money of church finances. $1.2 million. That was St. Clement's Anglican Church at Mossman. It was a very sobering morning. I suspect many of us were shocked by the newspaper headlines back in, I think it was 2008, that announced that the Sydney Anglican Diocese had lost $100 million as a result of the GFC in what could only be called greedy, risky, leveraged borrowings that all came spectacularly unstuck as the market crashed. I still shake my head in wonder and try and avoid thinking about it because it just gets me upset. I've seen ministers from other denominations manipulate their people to give. I've seen ministers make promises that I think are wrong to make promises in terms of saying this, if you give, God is going to bless your life materially, spiritually, physically, in all ways. If you don't give, you're withholding God's blessing on your life. Now the list could go on, but yet on the other side of the coin, I've seen some incredible stories of finances in churches. And in particular, acts of generosity and the way people have unselfishly lived, have been incredibly generous with their monies towards gospel ministry, towards people in need. Uh, And I've seen some incredible things here at St Matthew's. Uh, 
that really leave me gobsmacked in a very positive way, where I think, wow. And we're going to have a look at this topic this morning. It's a very important topic because there's no doubt uh, it's one that's mentioned all through Scripture. What do you do with money? And the Bible at this point has some very helpful things to say and it's worth saying, if you've got your Bibles, do open them up. We're at page 1148 uh, of the Bibles in front of you in the seats. It's 1 Corinthians 9 and I want to talk about three things. I'm probably only going to get to two of them because my time's going to run out. What happens is I sit in my study and I write and I got to the end of it and I thought, gee, I've written a lot for this one. <laughs> so anyway, I left two pages unspoken this morning. I'll probably do the same today. So I'm just going to talk about gospel preaching, gospel support and gospel compulsion. If I don't get to gospel compulsion, you can ask me afterwards about what I meant. But gospel preaching before we look at gospel compulsion. Uh, when you look at this passage, what's interesting is it starts and finishes talking and reflecting on gospel ministry and if you've got your pages there have a look at uh, verses 1 and verse 27 of chapter 9 because it tells us what this chapter is about. Paul is reflecting on his own ministry, he's free and he wants to preach the gospel and chapter 9 verse 1 says this, am I not free, am I not an apostle, have I not seen Jesus our Lord are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Now, when he says his work in the Lord, he's talking about his gospel ministry of proclamation, of teaching the scriptures, of proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The chapter ends on a similar note, but in different phrase, but he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. I've got the wrong one there, sorry, I've read the wrong No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others myself, I will not be disqualified for the prize. And you see, at heart here is his ministry of the gospel. But what he wants to talk about in relationship to the ministry of the gospel is about supporting that gospel ministry with finances. And I want to spend a bit of time this morning thinking about what does it mean to support the ministry of preaching the gospel. Now, we've been running a foundation appeal which is all about that endeavour of wanting to support the ministry of the gospel in schools to take the gospel out. And I want to give us two key principles to think about and then I want to apply it both to, if I can say, you as the congregation and me as the minister. I'll talk about that a bit later. But the first key principle I want us to see is this. The scriptures teach that you should give finances materially to the ministry that is feeding you spiritually. Let me say that again. We're to give finances materially to the ministry that feeds us spiritually. Key verse in chapter 9 that enunciates this principle is in verse 14. Have a look with me. It says, In the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Now let me just take a moment and just explain a context in terms of what was happening at Corinth, if I can say, in terms of the general secular world on this issue of financial support and partnership. In Paul's context, uh, the giving and receiving of gifts, typically financial, but it wasn't limited to that, were, much, were part of a much larger system of friendship and relationship and obligations that established, they managed and they maintained relationships. And what happened was this, um, 
in this kind of shadowy world of gift giving and money being offered, the offer of a gift constituted an offer of friendship. And while in theory it was voluntary, it was disinterested, when gifts were given in that historical context, it was intended to place the recipient under an obligation to repay. Uh, the recipient must respond with a counter gift or a service, either immediately or sometimes later. In other words, someone would give the gift, but they would be expecting something in return. And so people use their wealth in gift giving to confer favour, to make friends, to secure power, uh, to bring security and protection in both their personal worlds and the political world. Uh, in other words, you might say in today's world, the words given, uh, gifts given came at a price. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And so the context, let me just say, is very similar to today. There is no such thing as a free lunch, is there? Why have we had such an uproar with ICAC and the New South Wales parliamentary system Hasn't it not been because developers have wanted to give gifts to political parties so that they can curry favour with them to get favours back in terms of favourable rulings? And it's been actually a very heartening thing to see what Mike Baird and the government has been doing in response to that to try and eradicate this from the political scene. Because we all know gifts given are rarely given altruistically. There is no such thing as a free lunch. Now, why do I raise this? Because it appears to be the backdrop of what was happening in Paul's day. And you see, people were giving gifts towards gospel ministry. And you see that in verses 11 and 12. He says, If we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? And so gift-giving was taking place, it was to support the ministry of the gospel. And we're going to see the way Paul responds to that later on. But what I want to do is just read through the passage and see his argument, because it's quite a detailed argument as you go through chapter 9. And the first part of the argument is to support this first principle I've got on the screen, you give financially to the ministry that feeds you spiritually. So let's have a look at chapter 9 verse 1, I'm going to read through. Uh, Am I not free, Paul says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? In other words, his preaching, his gospel ministry. Even though I may not be an apostle to others, because why? He didn't preach the gospel to them. Surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship. In other words, we know the genuineness of Paul's call to be an apostle because people came to faith who were not uh, Jewish but Gentile the way he'd been called. And they actually demonstrate that, yes, he is the Lord's apostle. And he says, this is my defense to those who sit on judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brother and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? And so you ask the question, well, were they supporting the others, but they weren't supporting Paul? But you can see the general principle, ministers of the gospel have a right to be supported by the gospel. That's the first thing to note. But the second thing is in verses 7 and 8. Paul goes on to say, those who serve as a soldier, who serves as a soldier at their own expense? Or who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? 
Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? You might say, who has a veggie garden but doesn't eat the produce that comes from it? Now what he's doing is he's giving an illustration from life to say that the general principle that those who have been fed spiritually should pay back financially to those who have done the feeding is true in life. I mean, what soldier goes out and joins an army and doesn't get paid for it? What person who has a vineyard does not enjoy the fruit of the vine and the grapes that come from it? Well, you plant the vine, you enjoy the fruit that comes from it. What shepherd, if you can say in the Old Testament context, uh, would have a flock of sheep that would not enjoy drinking milk from both either the goats or the sheep? Well, of course, you would enjoy the labours of your work. Now, that's true in life. Paul's saying, well, it applies in the church. Those who preach the gospel have a right to receive financial, if I can say, remuneration from that ministry and to be looked after. And so the principle of gospel financial support has not just uh, supported, if I can say, by what happened, but he's saying it's supported in normal life in terms of parallels. But thirdly, Paul goes and says the Old Testament taught the same principle of financial support. So have a look at verse 8 through to 12. Do I not say this merely on human authority? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? And so what he's saying is the principle is true. Ministers of the gospel have a right to be supported by the gospel. Uh, when you think about life in general, the principle makes sense. Actually, when you look at the Old Testament, it's actually explicitly taught there. Now, the reference that is given there is Deuteronomy 25. It is slightly obscure to us. How does muzzling an ox uh, reflect in terms of financial giving? Well, he's saying, think about it. The law of Moses wasn't written for oxes to read. It's actually reflecting on the case of the ox is something that produces for those who work it. And as it is in the natural, if you sow natural seed physically, you reap a reward from it, so it is in the spiritual. Those who sow the seed of the gospel should reap a reward materially from that harvest. But then he goes on to say, fourthly, uh, the Old Testament not just taught the principle of financial support for gospel ministry, but it actually models the principle of financial support. Have a look at verse 13. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar? Now what happened in the Old Testament was there were 12 tribes that made up Israel. One of the tribes were the Levites. And the Levites were not given land when land was allocated to Israel. Their role was to actually minister in the temple on behalf of the people of God. 
And what the people of God did was they supported them in their ministry because, you see, they didn't have land to work and so they would give a tenth, a tithe, to the Levites to support the ministry of the temple. And what Paul is saying here is that was a good principle. Those who served in their temple, got their food from the temple, they ate what was brought in, the tithe of the land. And he's saying, as it was in the Old Testament, that those who served spiritually for you received from the people, so it is in the New Testament, those who are ministers of the gospel have a right to be supported by the gospel. But then lastly, Jesus taught the same principle of financial support. Have a look at verse 14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should they receive their living from the gospel. Now, what Paul is quoting there is Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, or uh, sorry, Matthew 10, 10, or Luke 7, 7. And Jesus, in sending workers out to preach the gospel, said, the worker deserves his wages. In other words, the ones you minister to should look after you. And so what Paul is saying is, there's one key principle. You give financially to the ministry that feeds you spiritually. And he basically gives us five reasons why. Ministers of the gospel have the right to be supported. Uh, The principles taught in life, when you think about it, it's taught in the Old Testament in the law. It's actually modelled in Old Testament experience. And the Lord Jesus himself taught exactly the same principle. Let me explain it in very simple terms. What it means is... Uh, you should actually support your local ministry where you're fed. That's what's being saying. And it makes sense, doesn't it? You've come to faith here. You are growing in your faith here. You're encouraged in your faith here through the preaching of the word. And so what you should rightly do, naturally do, is support that ministry. You're receiving spiritually from the ministry of the word that's going out and so you materially sow back into that ministry to make sure it's supported. So that's the first principle. But what's interesting in this passage is there's a second principle that comes alongside it. The the gospel must be offered free of charge. You see, here's the interesting thing. What Paul is saying is actually uh, the gospel as you receive it should mean that you give money. But when you offer the gospel, you've got to do it with no call of money. (laughs) It's actually got to be free. How do I get that? Have a look at what Paul says in verse 12. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? And you see, Peter, the others, Apollos, they'd received financial support. Paul had actually received none. He says, shouldn't we have it all the more? But... We didn't use this right. Actually, on the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse 15. uh, I've actually not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. In other words, that you're going to start giving me money. Uh, For I'd rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. I want to be able to boast how I've offered the gospel free of charge. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me. If I do not preach the gospel, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, actually, I just am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. 
In other words, the basic principle is you financially support the ministry that you're fed by, but there's a more important principle actually that the gospel must be offered free of charge to people. You see, what is the message of the gospel? It's a message of grace. And it's a message from God that has to come unencumbered. And that simply says to everyone, come as you are. You can't buy favour with God. I'm not going to charge you to come to church. Because you see, we come willingly because we've received a message of grace. And I think importantly, and if you think about the context of the way patronage worked in the ancient Near East, as I spoke about in terms of the Greco-Roman world, I think Paul is also very concerned that as he preaches the gospel, he is beholden to no one. He is free to preach it. He is not under the influence of any donor. And he wants to hold on to that privilege. He wants to be able to boast about it. Actually, I've got a right to receive money, but I'm not going to use that right because I want to offer the gospel freely and be beholden to no one. The only one that Paul is obliged to, his real gospel patron, is actually God himself. And he's the one who provides for all his needs. No one was to have an emotional or financial hold over him. His reward was being able to offer the gospel free of charge and not be obliged to anyone. So what does this all mean for us, these two principles? One, financially, we've seen uh, that you should give to the ministry that feeds you. But secondly, we have to offer the gospel free of charge. Now, I've got a word of application for all of us and for some of us. I don't normally speak to you separate from me. But on this issue, I am going to do that. Because the nature of the relationship is you actually support me in my ministry. And I want to say that it is a right thing to do. But this passage actually has something to say, if I can say to you as people who support the ministry, and to me as the one who's ministering the gospel in the ministry. So let me speak to you as the congregation. And I've got three things I want to say. Firstly, why give to gospel ministry? Why give to the ministry here at St. Matthew's? People should give because their local ministry is feeding them. That's the reality. And so if you're being fed, if you've come to faith here, if your family members are growing in their faith, the answer is, why give to the ministry here? Because you're being blessed by the ministry. You're growing in your faith. You're being sustained in your faith. You see, you don't give to get a blessing. Let me repeat that. You don't give to get a blessing. Because you will hear ministers say that. If you give, your life is going to be blessed. Do you know why you give? It's because you actually are already blessed. That's what this passage is teaching. You've actually received a spiritual blessing and so you're giving out of that sense of gratitude and grace. And you're responding to the free offer of grace. 
by saying, I want this to continue. I want the preaching of the gospel to continue. I want to see the preaching maintained. I want to see the ministry maintained. Why do you give to gospel ministry? Because you've been blessed by it. Well, secondly, where do you give financial support? What Paul is articulating is that people should give to their local ministry first. The church ministry where they're being fed. That's why Paul says, if I preach the gospel to you and you are spiritually fed, then you should support me. If we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much that we reap a material harvest from you? Now, I raise this because I think one of the strangest comments on this particular issue I've heard has actually come from this church. And I haven't heard a lot, but I've heard it enough times to make a comment on it. Um, And it's this, uh, I don't give my money to St Matthew's, it doesn't need it. And it's a very interesting comment to make. And I think why it's been made historically is because we actually do have shop properties. And people have thought, well, we've got money from the shops, I don't need to give money then. Uh, The reality is actually, in my time in six years, the church has actually never paid properly for the ministry. We've had to rely on the shops to actually top up the budget. We've actually run at a loss every year. It's only because of the shop properties that we've been able to survive. And the reality is, in seven months, the shop property money stops. And it stops for a few years because the shop properties are being pulled down and completely rebuilt. And then after that, the shop property returns that come, a large part of that will actually go towards repaying the debt on the loan. And so it is a significant issue for us to think about as a congregation and as a church. And I would say to people, where should you give? I think firstly you should give to your local church. It's the normal practice in Christian churches that people give firstly to the place they worship at and are benefiting from. And let me just say, I don't want you to give all your money here. I want you to give your money away elsewhere as well. Uh, I want us to be a very generous church. And I want us to be a place that supports lots of different endeavours, both formally and informally. But if I can challenge you, if you're not giving here yet and you are being blessed by the ministry, I'd encourage you to think seriously about doing that and giving first here and then elsewhere, particularly as we lose our money from the shop property. But thirdly, it has a word to say, how do you give financially? And what this passage teaches is this, with no thought of return. One of the things that can happen in churches is that congregations can feel like they own a minister because they're contributing to the paycheck. I know a minister who he was preparing to preach. Uh, The service had been going and the song before the message was playing. And he walked out to walk up to the pulpit. And as he walked up, one of the largest donors in the church walked up to him and whispered in his ear, I don't like the direction this church is going. I'm stopping my tithe to the church. What do you think he said to the man? This is what he said to him. He said, oh, you don't need to tell me. You need to tell God. Why don't we get down on our knees and pray right now? You could pray a prayer like this. God, I've decided I'm going to start robbing you. This is not a joke. This is what he actually said to him. And he looked at him. Would you like us to pray that prayer? man went back in his seat. Why did he say he was going to stop giving? 
because he was unhappy about the direction the church was going. Now, the church was actually going in a very good direction. It was growing. It was ministering the gospel. People were coming to faith. He just had his nose out of joint. And one of the problems financially is when people give, they can do it in a sense, we own you. And let me say, I am responsible. And I'm going to speak what this says to me as the minister. But we actually must give joyfully. We must give with a thankful heart. And we must give trustingly. It's why we have a parish council who oversee the ministry, who come from the body of the congregations. And they're there to hold me and the staff accountable in terms of what happens. And let me just say, you've got a very good parish council and none of them are yes men or yes women. Ask Emily Liddell. She'll tell you all about it. What does this say to me though? As I was preparing for this, God spoke a number of things to me about what it means for me as a minister. Firstly, I need to receive money thankfully. Paul did have a right for financial support, as do all uh, gospel ministers, as did all the apostles. But the right is to be looked after, not to get rich. And I just want to say uh, a couple of things. I'm very thankful, very thankful for the support that all the staff team get. Uh, We are well looked after. And the wardens who and the parish council are very good in terms of the way they lead and make sure that we are looked after. But there is no doubt in my mind that ministers like everyone else can fall into a temptation to get rich and I can tell you some awful stories of how this has happened. It's one of the reasons I personally uh, don't want people to give me money. Uh, I find gift giving very difficult. I know people sometimes give staff gift and that's a lovely thing. Uh, But I actually want to be very wary and, if I can say, distance myself from it. Uh, We are not in this to get rich. And we must be very wary of the temptation to do it and for double dipping. Uh, I preached overseas uh, two years ago and they gave me a nice big cheque. It was good. I was with Tim Evans at the time, who's my warden, and I said, Tim, that's going in the church offertory. And he said, absolutely, it's going in the church offertory. (laughs) And when I came back, we put it back in. I've been given money for all sorts of things, and I have to make sure it goes back in the offertory. It always does, by the way. I've got to receive money, thankfully. And I do want to say a very genuine thank you to you, because you guys support the ministry. And we're very thankful. I've got to receive money carefully. I cannot be obligated to anyone here at St Matthews because they've given significantly. And we've got some people who are able to give significantly and I'm very thankful for that. But I actually have to be, if I can say, distanced from that to some extent. I must be free to preach the word in season and out of season with care, with patience. And it's worth saying without fear or favour. I stop doing my job when suddenly I start favouring people who've got money and there's incredibly strong warnings in the book of James about that. And people here have been very kind to us, but I have to be careful. It's interesting, with the commitment series, uh, I ask people to sign a card and actually indicate what you're giving. Now, one of the things that I have worked out is I just let Daryl, 
handle it all. And he just tells me totals. And I, at one level, can't avoid knowing what people give. There's certain things that happen. People want to find out how they can give, and I'm happy to help you give if you want to give. But I actually have to be very careful and try and distance myself as much as possible from actually knowing some of the details. And it's worth saying, very few people know who gives what here, and that's the way it should be. The wardens don't know what is given, the parish council don't know who gives what, they just know the amounts that are given. Justin was a warden, he knows nothing about who gave what. Our finance team actually know the details of who gives the amount, I know some of the stuff, but I typically try and keep my hands off it and just find out what the totals are. Which leads me to my third thing, I actually need to receive money responsibly. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. When should I resign as senior minister? That is a rhetorical question. And this is not a resignation speech, don't worry, Dave. (laughs) I'll tell you when. It's the day I start taking a paycheck and enjoying the largesse of living in Manly rather than passionately preaching the gospel to all who come. Sadly, there is a history in Christian ministries of ministers just taking a paycheck. And the day you think I'm doing that, come and tell me. I am here, called by God, as all the staff are, to preach to everyone. That's what you pay us for. That's what you support us in. We are not here to take a paycheck. We're here to be supported in the ministry of the gospel. And that's why I'm so thankful because, you see, ministers are people who are set apart so that they don't have to work for a living, so that they, in a full-time capacity, can preach the gospel. And your support enables that to take place. I can go to bed at night not worrying about the bills. Not rich, but not worrying where the next dollar will come from. So that I can lead us together in preaching the gospel. I knew when I gave up my profession I would not get rich. I don't care. I'm not here to make money. I'm here to preach the gospel. And friends, that's what Paul is saying. He had a right to money, but he gave it up because what was most important for him was this, that the gospel is preached. And friends, that's why we support the ministry here financially, and I give to it as well. It's worth saying that. And I tithe our pay, Kath and myself, both here first. And then we want to give to other endeavours as well. I want to support the foundation. I want to see our mission partners given and well looked after. But friends, that is what Paul is saying. Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. And friends, may we do that together and may we support it well with our finances. And I just want to say, do pray for us that they are well handled, and I want to say uh, they are very well handled, but may that continue. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for all your blessings to us. 
And Father, I thank you particularly for the incredible generosity of this church, the money that has been given over many years. I thank you for the way that has increased in recent times, for the wonderful Commitment Day appeal last year for missions that was just unbelievable. Father, for the generosity this year, Father, it's been wonderful to see how we're going well. Father, the foundation has been well supported so far. Father, I thank you for the people who are giving generously. I know they don't give to receive a blessing, but I pray, Lord, that you would continue to be their strength and shield and to be their blessing. And Father, for the staff, may we never take for granted the privilege we have here, Lord. And with great purpose and passion, may we preach your word without fear or favour. In Jesus' name, Amen. Stand up and sing our offering song.